The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we, we love you. We love singing to you. We love praying to you. And we love that you've given us your word. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we're trusting you now to come and shape us and form us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus, that we might follow him and obey him and worship him and find our joy in him so much so that we would not be able but to spread it to others. So, Lord, would you come? Father, would you come and do that in this place now? Convict and comfort, encourage, and exhort. Do whatever you need to do for the sake of your name and the good of your people all the way to our neighborhoods and the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the book of Acts, this last chapter, Acts, although we are going to look at Acts again the second week of Global Focus. If you're getting weepy-eyed, save it for a couple weeks. In the book of Acts, though, we've seen the, the power of Jesus to keep the promises of Jesus, to, f- to the people of Jesus, to fulfill the purposes of Jesus. So we could say Acts is all about, and in some ways the whole Bible is all about. The power of Jesus to keep the promises of Jesus, to the people of Jesus, to fulfill the purposes of Jesus. And I want to show you that that's what we've seen from the very first chapter. Go back to the first chapter, and then as we look at this last chapter, you'll see it all coming to fruition. So remember chapter 1 verse 1 of Acts. I'll give you a second to get there. All the way back at the beginning of this book, the author Luke writes this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The first book that Luke wrote was the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is the account of all that Jesus did and all that he taught in his life and death and resurrection. So the implication of chapter 1, verse 1 of Acts is that this is only the beginning. That was all that Jesus began to do and teach. And Jesus is still here doing and teaching. Jesus will still work and teach. Jesus will still reign as king, and his kingdom has no rivals or opposition that can stop his purposes. In other words, just because Jesus is gone, he's not gone. He's here, working and teaching. Well, how will he work, and what are his purposes? Because he did ascend to the right hand of his Father, so how will he work? What are his purposes? Look at chapter 1, verse 8. He's about to ascend, and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So how will Jesus keep working and teaching? Through His people. Right? Through His people. He'll save a people from their sins for His name through the preaching of the Gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and every person that is saved from their sins, will also be filled with the Holy Spirit to carry on the working and teaching of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. How will He keep working and teaching? 
through you if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and been filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is the ultimate purpose of this Spirit-empowered working and teaching? Well, the ultimate purpose is that the name of Jesus will be made known to the ends of the earth. That's why you exist. That's why you've been saved, to make the name of Jesus known to the ends of the earth. In other words, King Jesus is working to save people from their blind pursuit of a million things, a million things out in the world that they think will bring them ultimate joy and hope and peace and salvation. Right? You know people. You yourselves still do this. You run after things. This will bring me joy. I can hope in this. This will bring me peace. This will bring me some kind of salvation. In these suburbs, in our day, perhaps it's money. The suburbs like money, prestige, popularity, comfort, power. Right? That's just all around us. Right? It's even among us sometimes. And when Jesus saves a people, their eyes are open to see all those things as poor and petty substitutes for the true worship of God. It's like, man, this is what I've been looking for. That thing and that thing, it's just a, a poor and petty substitute. And when they find their Savior, they see their ultimate joy and hope and peace and salvation, and the Holy Spirit empowers them to help other people see. What a privilege to see. What a privilege to see Jesus, to have our eyes open to actually see reality. Seeing Jesus being saved by the gospel, being filled with the Holy Spirit is just walking into reality, just having the blinders removed so you can see what's really important, what's really true, what's really the priority of all of life. So how will Jesus keep working? Through y'all. That's for you Southerners. If we have any in Minnesota, through y'all. Through His Spirit-empowered church. What's the ultimate purpose? That He might gather a people that sees their ultimate joy found in worship, obedience, and salvation in Jesus. And what's the outcome? Well, He gets the glory rightfully His for all of eternity. And His people get the joy purchased by His blood for all of eternity. And so today as we look at the final chapter in the story of this book of Acts, you'll just see these themes running all the way through. You'll see them begin to be tied up in our story and at the same time you'll be left with a cliffhanger that tells you it's only the beginning. It's only the very beginning of the story. So point number one, verses one to ten, the power of God over the devil and diseases. So last week, Daniel helped us walk through how God spared these people, all of them, right? It was the kind of situation where none of them should have been spared, Daniel said, but all of them were spared, and he spared them through this perilous voyage at sea. And at this point, as we see them arrive safely to this island, we think, maybe we can finally take a breath, right? God is going to get them to Rome, but the threats just continue, I was thinking, as I sometimes watch my, my kids watch a movie. So kids, have you ever watched a movie or heard a story where the bad things just keep happening? Right? It, it seems like the good guy is okay. He's going to win. And at the last minute, here comes something else. Another threat or another bad guy or the bad guy somehow is alive again and you thought he was gone. And that's kind of like the book of Acts. 
So what happens here as they arrive? They arrive at an island called Malta. And the good news is that the people on this island seem to be really friendly. Right? They could have been suspicious or kind of hostile to these new people on their island, but instead, in verses 2 to 3, it says they welcome them and make them a fire to keep them warm on a cold, rainy day. So we've made it across the sea. There's some friendly people. Things are looking good. The bad news is that while Paul is making the fire, he's helping them make the fire, one of the sticks he's carrying is not a stick. So he picks up a bundle of sticks, he's walking to the fire, and one of the sticks is not a stick, it's a snake. And it's a poisonous snake. And it says it doesn't just bite him and then go away, but <laughs> it bites him and latches onto his hand. So Paul's just got a snake hanging here from his hand. Now, this is my mother-in-law's and Nick's greatest nightmare. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Right? Nick would be headed for the woods with the snake by himself, the poison just going into the body. Because, right, this is death, right? This is, this is death. They, they hate snakes and they should hate snakes, especially poisonous ones, because this guy should die now. Right? So back in those days, people thought of these kinds of things as judgment from their gods. This is hard for us to think about. In the culture we live in, we think of almost nothing attributed to gods or the supernatural or spiritual. Everything has a, a scientific or a causal explanation. But back then, as soon as something like this happens, they're going, uh-oh, you're in trouble with the gods. Right? So, so that's what they're thinking. They thought, he must be guilty. He must be a criminal. And our gods won't let him get away from it. If the storm and the sea couldn't get him, our God sent this snake to get him. So they think, here's a guilty person. Remember one of the themes throughout these last few chapters, everyone's acting like he's guilty, but what does the Bible keep showing him to be? Innocent, right? He's walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And Paul, with his snake hanging off his hand, simply shakes it off into the fire, and nothing happens. He just shakes it off. Doesn't get sick. Doesn't die. He's fine. They're all waiting for him. It says they're waiting (laughs) around this fire. When is he going to swell up? Right? No one's trying to help him, right? Because they think he's a criminal. When is he going to swell up? He's not swelling up. He's just going to die suddenly. But nothing. So after they wait a while, they see him healthy and good, and they decide he must not be a criminal after all, but he must be someone very close to the gods or God himself. Some commentators think that they think he's actually a god. Others think that this phrase actually means that they think he's closely associated or one in favor with a god as they saw him praying to his god. Either way, their opinion goes from criminal, guilty, to innocent and favored. And as they stay there a few months and he's gaining favor among them, Paul gets to know the chief man of the island Publius. And he again is kind and welcoming. And as Paul, because of his growing favor, because of this miracle God's done, as Paul gets to know this chief man, he finds out his dad is sick. He's really sick, and he's got the kind of sickness that would often kill you in those days. And Paul visits him and prays to God and heals the father of this chief man. And as people hear about it, they also come to Paul. And he heals all of them as well. God is showing his power over serpents and over sickness. 
We've seen from the rest of the book of Acts how these healing miracles are meant to show the power of God that people might repent and find ultimate healing in Jesus. So we have no doubts knowing Paul, what he's also saying on the side, even if it's not recorded here. I'll tell you who saved me from the serpent. I'll tell you who's healing these diseases. And I'll tell you to what? Repent from your sins. We don't need it recorded at this point to know what was going on and why. And I wanted to show you a little bit of imagery that we've seen in the last two chapters that could easily be missed, but I think is in here on purpose. If we were going to read the Old Testament and say, what are the kind of the main foils of the people of God? What imagery rises up to show that it's against God, against his purposes? We'd see two things that we've seen in the last two chapters. We'd find the sea and the serpent as symbols of chaos and judgment in opposition to God's purposes. You could do a study all throughout the Old Testament and you see the sea and the serpent always against God, representing darkness and chaos and judgment. Let me read you a verse from Revelation that is talking about Satan and his hatred of Jesus and his pursuit to kill Jesus and all who believe in him. And listen to the imagery, remember, of serpent and sea. Listen to how they come together in this verse. Revelation 12 15. It says, The serpent, that's Satan, poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Do you hear the imagery coming together? The two great foils, the sea and the serpent, coming together to what? Stop Jesus. Destroy him. Stop his purposes. You're not going to make it happen. You're not going to go to the ends of the earth. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. A sea-spitting serpent is like the worst kind of enemy if you look at the Bible. And Revelation is always going back to the Old Testament to say, here's what God's always been doing. So here we have the sea and the serpent to destroy, kill, and stop the work of God through Jesus. The sea and the serpent to bring death and destruction and disobedience on earth to stop the purposes of God. And so it shouldn't be lost on us what has been overcome in these last two chapters. Can the sea, the ancient symbol for chaos and power, stop the spread of the gospel and Paul getting to Rome? The sea can't stop it. Can the bite of the serpent stop the spread of the gospel and Paul getting to Rome? No, the serpent can't stop it. The sea and the serpent are overcoming a picture, a picture, a parable being played out before us of what will ultimately take place. What will stop God's purposes being fulfilled through his people? These questions are just, these questions are begging to be answered in these chapters. What will keep God from keeping his promises to his people? Sea, serpent? No. Who will stop the continued work and teaching of King Jesus? No one. We're meant to see that. Luke writes it this way so that we see it. Do you remember any other stories in the Bible where it looked like Satan had latched on to bring poisonous death and yet instead he was shaken off so we see resurrection life? This is the story of Jesus being played out right in front of us. Jesus seemed dead by the bite of the great serpent and yet it could not hold him and he rose again to conquer death and bring us life. And Luke is saying, so it will be for the church. When you die, you will live. 
So, look at your life and the world around you and ask yourself honestly, does it feel like chaos is winning? Have you felt that over the last couple of years? It just feels chaotic, out of control. Does it feel like the serpent is dealing deadly blows? Do you find yourself shaken, even though we're just saying we won't be shaken? Well, the lesson for the islanders on Malta and the lesson for us today is that the power of Jesus will overcome every obstacle to gather people for his name and send them out to gather others. Every obstacle. Jesus will bring those who trust him through the chaos into his presence forever. And Jesus will tread on the serpent Satan through his people and bring them safely home. God will soon crush Satan under our feet by the blood of Jesus. Point number two, the power of God in the fellowship of believers. Verses 11 to 16. In verses 11 to 16, they set sail again, and they make a few stops, and now they end up in a place called Pudioli. Right? That's very Italian. And as they stop, they get the opportunity to find some believers to fellowship with for a week. Remember who Paul is. Remember who Paul is in this story, in this book of Acts. Right? Paul is the guy who would heal people with his handkerchief. Right? The sea could not hold him. Snakes couldn't kill him. The Jews couldn't trap him. The Roman government didn't know what to do with him. People were being saved and churches were being planted. And what does he regularly seek out in his travels? Other believers. Right? We've seen it through the book of Acts. If anyone doesn't need fellowship or help, we would think it would be Paul. Right? Anyone else have those things on your resume? I've been bitten by poisonous snakes, nothing happened. People getting healed by your handkerchiefs. Right? None of us have that, and yet here's what Paul seeks. Others who have been saved by the gospel and see Jesus as their great hope. If Paul can't do this alone, this mission, neither can we. As Paul heads towards Rome, this powerful man gets the privilege of fellowship, and he sees the power of God in the fellowship of believers. It says, it says Paul thanks God and takes courage. You ever been somewhere where you're having a hard time believing, having a hard time hoping, having a hard time taking the next step, and you get in a prayer meeting, you get with a believer on the phone or over coffee, and you're even going, I can do it. God can do it. Where you take courage, we're not meant to live this life in Jesus alone. We need other believers to give us courage for the day. And let me just say it. We were made for this moment, church. Do you know how I know that? Because we're here. And our being here isn't an accident. We're made for this moment. You're not here by accident. You're not in this moment in history, in this place by accident. God planned your days before there were any of them. You're in this church, in this city, with your neighbors in all the politics and protests and pandemic dynamics that are driving everyone crazy. You're in this place, in this moment, in your neighborhood, in this church to make much of Jesus. To show that you have unshakable hope and joy in Jesus. But you're not going to do that very well alone. 
Man, I would have given up without deep brothers and sisters in the Lord in the last two years saying, keep preaching the gospel, keep going, keep running after Jesus. None of us can do this alone. We need other believers to give us courage and hope to remind each other that the sea and the serpent don't have the final word. Ever. So I want to encourage you. Get in a small group. Right? Or or come to Wednesday prayer, or get in a Titus 2 group, or get in a men's or women's Bible study, or a mom's group, or come to our abide nights of worship, or whatever else. Get coffee, make a phone call, do whatever. You, I don't care, how, I don't really care how you do it. All the stuff we do is just so you have a way to do it. But get with other believers and fellowship with them and experience the power of God to give you courage for this moment we're living in. Paul fellowships and is filled with courage as he moves into Rome. And in verse 16, we see Paul finally arrived. God has kept his promise. Jesus keeps his promise that Paul will go to Rome and be a witness to Jesus. That's back in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. And Paul is even allowed to stay by himself if you consider being chained to a soldier 24-7 by yourself. (laughs) But this was a pretty good deal in light of his waiting appeal. Point number three, the power of God in the preaching of Jesus. So Paul gets to Rome, and he does what he often does, is he gets to a city, and he calls on the local Jewish leaders. And in verses 17 to 19, Paul just recounts to them all that's happened. He says, I've done nothing against the Jews, law or custom, done nothing against Roman law, In fact, the Romans wanted to release me because I wasn't guilty. We keep seeing that theme over and over again. But these pesky Jews wouldn't give up, so I appealed to Rome. In verse 20, he says, I'm in these chains, and he said this a few times now, I'm in these chains because of the hope of Israel, the hope of a Messiah, the hope of the resurrection of the dead. That's why I'm wearing these chains, and Paul is eager to share this hope with them. The local leaders say, well, we haven't heard anything good or bad. No one's written to us. We don't know much about what's going on. But it says they do want to hear what he has to say because this sect, they call it a sect, the sect he's a part of is spoken against everywhere. That doesn't seem like <laughs> an unbiased hearing at this point. So they haven't heard directly, but they've heard some things. The group of believers, Christians, the way, those who believe Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of resurrection, that Jesus is the hope of Israel, that Jesus is the one spoken of in the Law and Prophets, that's spoken against everywhere. And some things never change. Right? People oppose the gospel in India. Just heard stories about that this week. People oppose the gospel in Afghanistan. People oppose the gospel in America. People oppose the gospel in Acts, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and all the way to the ends of the earth, right right along with the gospel being proclaimed. It's been opposition at every point. So let us not be surprised when believers are spoken against, or persecuted, or imprisoned, or whatever else for the gospel. Jesus is king and means to show that all other worldly powers are faulty. That's threatening. If you're someone with the power and you want the status quo... Jesus is going to mess that thing up. And Jesus is our treasure and means to show that all other supposed treasures are faulty. 
That's offensive in our culture. You're going to tell me this thing I like or love is sin? You're going to tell me to repent? Run to Jesus? That's offensive in our day and age. And the serpent knows his time is short and will work hard to whisper into the ears of the world to snuff out and speak against the realities of King Jesus. So when you find out the whole world is against you, it's spoken, of against, spoken against everywhere, what do you do? Well, what does Paul do? He preaches the gospel to them. <laughs> right? He testifies, it says, to the kingdom of God and tries to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, he's still driven by the self-giving love. He's trying to show them that rather than be against this sect that says Jesus is the fulfillment, they should be rejoicing. Rejoicing with great joy that all the prophets promised of a suffering servant and a king in the line of David to be on the throne forever and a promised offspring of Abraham that would bless the nations and a perfect high priest and a perfect sacrifice and a resurrection hope has been found in Jesus. He's saying, don't you see? Don't be against this. Don't hate this before this. This is what we've been waiting for. It's what we've been waiting for. The law and the prophets and the writings, all that we've been seeing, He came. He lived the life we couldn't live. He fulfilled the law we love. He died the death for us. No more sacrifices. You can have Him now. He's just pleading. What'd you see? In other words, the whole Torah... The whole Old Testament is about Jesus and they should see Him and delight in Him rather than reject Him. The Gospel is spoken against. What does Paul do? Preaches the Gospel. Why? Because the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Why does he preach the Gospel? Because he loves God with all his heart and loves his neighbors, even those that make themselves his enemies, as himself. How do you not preach the gospel? And what's the result? What do you think the result will be at this point of looking through Acts? Some believe. Some believe. <laughs> That's glorious. I mean, kids, if you tell people about Jesus, they might just trust Jesus. They might pass from eternal condemnation to eternal life. Right? That's what happened for all of us in this room who trust Jesus. And we're called to be ambassadors and sojourners in this foreign place pointing to salvation in King Jesus. What if your speaking is what God uses by the power of His Holy Spirit to take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh? What a glorious reality that people pass from death to life. By our speaking of Jesus. And some disbelieve. And that's grievous. Some don't believe it. And I know that I should weep over this more than I do. Should weep over the gospel going out and people hardening their hearts and plead with God to soften their hearts. Some of your neighbors don't believe. Some of your family members don't believe. Some of your co-workers don't believe. And if we believe, like Acts 17 says, that God's determined your boundaries and your dwelling places, then it's, 
It's your privilege to pray and to proclaim the gospel to them. You want a gospel witness at your work? It's you. You want a gospel witness in your neighborhood? It's you. You're the ambassador for King Jesus. The results are not up to us. Jesus will build his church. The sea and the serpent will not prevail. He has many in these cities that are his. We pray and we witness and he works. Point number four, the power of God in the keeping of promises. So Paul points out that this rejection was predicted in Isaiah in verses 26 to 27 of our chapter. He goes back to Isaiah, quotes Isaiah, and we see that even the hardness of Israel is a predicted and fulfilled promise of God. The hardness of Israel is tragic, but it leads to the salvation of God being sent to the Gentiles. And as Paul sits chained in Rome, waiting for his trial, chained to a prison, chained to a guard, many people come to him and he proclaims the kingdom of God and teaches about Jesus with all boldness and no hindrance. God is keeping his promises for salvation and for rejection. Now most of the time we'd say, like if you're going to read this book of Acts and it was, a, it was a movie or something, we don't get any resolution. You might say, that was a bad movie. <laughs> that was a bad book. You, you, didn't, you didn't tie up any of the loose ends. Like, how does Paul's trial go? <laughs> We've just been waiting for this. What's going to happen? What happened to the church? Right? We don't get anything about any of that. The book ends with no resolution to these things and it ends that way because it ends with an emphasis on the eternal story, not on Paul's story. Paul is only the beginning. The eternal story is that despite seas and serpents and sickness and persecution and conflicts and much other opposition, the gospel is being proclaimed and the last sentence in Acts it says it's being proclaimed with all boldness and without hindrance. It's the last word we get. You remember their prayer way back in, Lord, look upon their threats and help your servants to keep preaching the word boldly. Right? That was Iris' memory verse this week. And I'm just remembering that prayer. This is a fulfillment of that prayer. Right? What is, what's going on? He's preaching boldly. No hindrance, even though he's chained to another guy. The promise has been kept. Jesus has filled his church with his spirit. The name of Jesus has been witnessed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now in the very center of the civilized earth at that time in Rome. It's made it to the ends of the earth as far as Luke is concerned. Jesus is working and teaching through his people. They have great boldness and no hindrance. And I would just say to you, there's still no hindrance to the gospel. Not as long as God is our God and Jesus is our King. You should feel great hope, great joy, and great responsibility as you get to the end of the book of Acts. All wrapped up into one. Joy and hope and responsibility. God keeps His promises to His people for His purposes by His power. How will that happen how will it happen? The bold witness of the church in word and deed. That's how it happens. Persecution, being spoken of against, people being angry at us, 
nothing new. <laughs> nothing new. If you've been surprised by the last three years, you haven't read the Bible. <laughs> you have. That's an overstatement. But you know what I mean. Sometimes we act so surprised. Like, man, how could people be against us? Right? We're, we're losing our place. We're losing our whatever. How has the church responded to persecution, especially if you're someone who wants a revival? Well, it's been sacrificial love for each other and their neighbors and a bold witness to the name of Jesus that flows out of that. Sacrificial love to each other and their neighbors and a bold witness that flows out of that. In other words, there's simply no time for angry fish shaking. We ain't got time for that. (laughs) We just don't. You don't got mental space for that if you're going to be effective. You're finite. All the cares of the world aren't all your cares, right? You don't have time for angry fish shaking. The cause is too great. Give your time to this. Our lives are too short. Now, we have the same king, the same gospel, the same spirit. We were made for this moment, and God has determined our dwelling places because there are many in these neighborhoods that belong to him and need to hear the gospel. Right, this is going to be my new line until it happens. I want these seats filled with your neighbors. I want to grow by conversion. I want to see God move among the South Metro. I want these seats right here, mark them out for your neighbors and say, I'm going to start praying and witnessing so that someday your neighbors are planting churches and your neighbors are going to the nations. Why? Because you walked over and said, hey, can I help you rake your leaves? Can I ask you about your life? Can I ask you where your hope is? And God will grab them by the power of the Holy Spirit and take out the heart of stone. He'll put in the heart of flesh. And when he does that, they get the Holy Spirit and this thing keeps going on and on and on. This book is only the beginning. This book is only the beginning and it only matters that you've heard it if you treasure Christ and go, i got to keep it going. It's up to me. It's up to the church to love my neighbors. We are the light in the darkness. We are the hope for the hopeless. We are the good news in a day of outrage and bad news because we come in word and deed in the name and power of Jesus with unshakable hope to the lost and the broken. Acts 28 is only the beginning of the greatest story ever told. And now it's our call to say, will we step into it? Will we step into it? Let's bow our heads and get ready to meet Jesus at communion. So Lord, I want to pray now for just any, any in this room that are unbelievers that haven't yet asked for forgiveness of their sins and receive forgiveness from Jesus. Lord, I pray that right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd be working in them. So if you're in here, and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, I'm just praying that this would be the moment of salvation, that you would speak to Jesus right now and ask Him to come and forgive your sins and fill you with the Holy Spirit and help you walk a new life. If you're here and you are a believer and you're trusting in Jesus, would you take a couple moments just to ask yourself, If you're ready to step into this great calling on our lives, if you're ready to step into risky love for your neighbors that might go all the way to the nations, just talk to Jesus about that for a minute.
And maybe as you're praying, you're thinking, I can't share the gospel because I have this sin issue or this brokenness or this suffering going on. Would you, in this moment right now, bring all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your suffering to the foot of Jesus? Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to be near to you. Ask Him to remind you of how deep and how wide His forgiveness goes and how deep and how wide His promises to be with you never forsake you go. you take just one minute I just want you to think of the names and faces of those you know that don't know Jesus your neighbors, your family members friends, your co-workers would you begin to pray right now that they would know Jesus and pray right now for opportunities to make him known to them Jesus, we are your people. We're your church, purchased by your blood, washed clean of our sins, cast as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, how we delight in our salvation. How we delight in what you've done for us. Oh God, would you fill us afresh with your spirit now and help that joy spread. Lord, as loud as we cheer at football games or grieve, at movies or shows that we watch. Lord, would we be that kind, of, that kind of energized and grieved over the lost in our midst. Lord, come and work for the glory of your name and the good of your people and those who don't yet know you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.